Welcome to this special series of the Bundaberg Now podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the heritage buildings of our region. I'm your host, Genevieve Lyons, and I invite you to listen along as we uncover some hidden histories, mysterious stories and bizarre facts about some of our most iconic buildings and structures. Today we hear from a range of experts about the heritage-listed Saltwater Creek pedestrian and cycle bridge that connects the CBD to Bundaberg East. Originally a rail bridge built to service the sugarcane industry, this bridge is being carefully restored to maximise its location and preserve its historical significance as the second oldest bridge of its kind still standing in Queensland. Adele Bennett from Bundaberg Now sat down with the experts working on the bridge. The group included external consultant archaeologist Simon Gall, cultural heritage specialist Ulrika Opperman and structural engineer Anthony Chen, as well as council engineer Cleet Perriott and project supervisor Hunter Cole. We're here at Saltwater Bridge. Can you tell me a little bit, Simon, about the background of the bridge and what's happening? So the bridge that we're looking at here uh, is, is a railway bridge, I think built in 1894. Uh, it was probably one of a number of pretty interesting bridges in Bundaberg. It's uh, built... I think the railway bridge over the Burnett was built before this and then you've got the, the road bridge over the Burnett which was built after and, and then the Kennedy Bridge as well. So Bundaberg's pretty lucky to have all of these pretty cool bridges, all of which take, I guess, quite a lot of maintenance as well, <laughs> which is why we're all here today. Um, this is an unusual bridge. It's, it's, it's on the state register for, I guess, the primary reason being the use of screw piles, which was... Um, not new at the time, but still probably relatively unusual. I think they started off using them in things like lighthouses and stuff like that originally. So that's one of the reasons. So from an engineering perspective, it's it's unusual. And I think it's, if not the oldest, maybe the second oldest surviving in Queensland uh, with that sort of construction. Uh, other parts of it are fairly traditional, timber bridge construction. Um, and I think actually another little interesting bit of history is there's some um, girders that come from the Gold Coast Railway, which uh, disappeared as well. Could you tell me why it was built in the start and who built it? I'm trying to think. It was it was built for the Millican Mill. And it was built by... There'd been a lot of uh, toing and froing about trying to get uh, a bridge or a railway built to the Millican Mill to connect it to the North Coast Rail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that had been going on. I think the mill was built by... Was it... Cran. Cran, that's mm. right, yeah. So in uh, 1880, the mill was built. So this had been going on for a while. This being built in 1894, um, they'd been using all sorts of various transportation, I guess, river and um, uh, well, roads, probably an exaggeration, track perhaps <laughs> at the time. Um, that had been going on for a while. Um, and obviously, this is the expansion. You know, Bundaberg started for a variety of reasons, but now we're into the period where sugar's really driving the economy here and how you know where the wealth is and, and why Bundaberg's really here. So this is an important indication of that development as well. Um, was it Levity who designed the bridge? I think, well, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy who designed it. It was designed by the uh, Queensland Rail. Yes. Because although it was a private uh, railway and he paid for it, it needed to be to Queensland Rail standards and it needed its own act. It went through Parliament and he needed... Uh, an act was put in place that he was actually allowed to have this private railway to connect the North Coast Railway to the mill. 
And from a historical perspective, is it pretty like a standard thing to have been built then as a timber screw pile bridge and just not many have survived or is it was it out of the ordinary i think the construction techniques for the time were on the tim the timber construction is fairly typical mm. but i think the screw piles and some of the use of um, steel in there as well is probably unusual because it's not it's not a large bridge as such um, so that's probably unusual for the period um, and if, if that's demonstrating some innovation which is one of the reasons why it's listed um, so I think the private, it's, it's not entirely unusual for private um, companies to be building rails because sometimes I guess they just got fed up with how long it took for things to happen, which I guess still happens today. Um, so uh, I think he basically took the bull by the horn, so to speak, and said, right, I've had enough of this, I've got the money, I need it. Um, as long as you let me build it, I'll build it. So, yes, in, in that respect, the combination of those things makes it interesting, mm -hmm. um, particularly for Bundaberg's history. Um, and the connection through to, to the mill and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and for anyone that doesn't know what a screw pile is, can you describe it and its purpose? The screw pile is like a, the construction, like a pile, the, the end of the toe is attached like an ogre's. So it's technically just a, the, the, instead of a driven rig, they're just talking into the ground, which is like in nowadays is like you can see in a small domestic construction, you never seen using a screw pile in a in a large civil infrastructure, which is that's what I'm saying. It's a, probably once in a in my lifetime I've seen something like that, and I've never seen this mm. unless I'm going through the house construction. And probably they're using a small mini screw pile happen in a domestic construction, but not for the big civil infrastructure job. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if you think about when these things, yeah. these innovations occurring when the industrial revolution, things like this are coming out, yeah. there, you know, I think I'm pretty sure it did start up with things like lighthouses where they had to go out and get a footing somehow in an area where maybe it was tidal or difficult to do. Yeah. And so that's probably the same reason why they've utilised it here. Yeah. But it was still quite, as you've said, Anthony, quite rare and innovative. Yeah, it's quite rare. Probably in the old days, people doesn't really know how to build like a modern day that people can build cover dam, yeah. you know, so they can drive the pile, yeah. which is a modern construction. In the old day, probably doesn't have a, a good dam technology to block the water out to they can yeah. drill. So that's probably, I think it was very smart at that time. People can yeah. think of that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So with these screw piles, are we, um, this may be another engineering question, but are we taking them out and then re-putting them in, or they're just being sort of? No, it's it will stay there. Uh, it's surprisingly the the pile is still in a very good condition. I will I will have no concern. It just maybe need a bit recoating, a bit of patch up work here and there, but the integrity of the screw pile is still very in a in a fair fair condition. Yeah. So when you do do a, a restoration of any heritage building, um, are you trying to reuse or use reclaimed resources or make like make it in a similar way to what it was? Or how much, um, I guess, how much is new and how much is sort of left? Well, I guess there's been a long process to get through this. Uh, so um, Bly Tanner, Anthony and uh, his colleague Simon were we're out here doing the engineering inspections plus another, a few other guys have looked at the concrete and the, the steel and all of those things um, to look at the condition and I guess they've they've done the best that they can while the deck and everything else is on and then once the decks come off that's that's demonstrated there's further issues with some of the you know some of the structure uh, then I guess it's always 
the objective is trying to reuse or retain as much of the original material as you can. Um, and Hunter and his guys are doing a really good job there by re recycling some of the, the larger pieces and came down for corbels and things like that, which is good. Um, but probably one of the key issues these days is the spans. Like when you when this was built, you still had old growth timber and things like that around. So actually sourcing something with that you know that density and span and everything else is is a little difficult. Um, and uh, I guess people aren't chopping down trees the same way they were once as well. So we're trying to keep a few of those. Um, but yeah, I guess the other thing, Hunter's got you've got a lot of experience as well in timber bridges. That's that's what you've done your whole life really. And that, that experience is wonderful to have people who can who know what they're doing. They've they've learnt those techniques from people who were before them as well. So that's sort of passing on. Then itself is heritage, I think. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to places like Britain, they'll really celebrate those those skills and, and keep them alive. So this project's wonderful to keep. And some of the young fellas, I guess, too, on your crew may not have done this before, Hunter, I don't know. And, no, they didn't. Uh, None of them have ever actually worked on a railway structure at all, um, like normal traffic bridges and that. And, um, and like, they were adapted well. There's like a lot of the timber work is the same principle, but it's just getting around the railway line and um, your sleepers and stuff like that. And then we had to do a bit of Google research and find out how far to put the sleepers apart and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, because like you can, you know, you can talk to hundred people from the railway and they'll all give you a different, nah mate, they've got to be this part, <laughs> nah that's too wide, they've got to be this. Yes, yes. No, no, and it's quite, you know, and like, you know, there's a few cha different challenges here and things like that, but like we've all adapted well to it and, you know, and then once it comes to the girders and corbels, well it's just old hat, you know, what we do all the time and, and that and we're slowly getting it put back together. So with the reclaimed timber, can you tell me a bit about where it came from? Yeah, um, Bundy Council, they'll replace uh, three timber bridges um, recently and we've, we um, reclaimed a lot of the timber out of that. Um, and the timber that we had on hand, a lot of it, it wasn't good enough to go back in, it's gone back into this bridge. And just recently, because where we've discovered there's a bit more wrong with this bridge, I've been in talks with Main Roads in Bundaberg here and gone and inspected a stockpile of second-hand girders that they got and, like, let them know what the project was all about and sort of what look we were looking for. And they come to the party and said, you know, go down and have a look and see what you need there. And, um, and then Alan Tree from Main Roads, he's been very, very helpful and... Yeah, and we're looking, picking them girders up sort of within the next fortnight. So a lot of it's like come locally from local bridges and local projects. A good, good example of collaboration, I guess. Um, but I guess the point I was trying to say before is heritage is not just about the structures, it's about those skills and the knowledge and what these things represent. And that's a great example that some of the young guys here can be learning those skills and taking them forward. So... Yeah, you know, I'm sure Hunter will do such a good job that they'll never have to work on this one again. But there may be other bridges that they may have to work. Not, not <laughs> so, I mean, it is. Oh, I was. Oh, I'm so happy. You know, I mean, able to see this happen. You know, I mean, probably I was to say this is only once in my life I will see this someone doing this thing. You know, I mean, that's why I'm so excited to come out and have a look. I would say maybe this is one of a lifetime opportunity for me to see mm -hmm. such thing like that and see hunters doing this bridge. 
I see a lot of modern bridge construction and I've seen this one but I've never seen this. Yes, yeah, which is it's a great thing to see. Yeah. I think it's, I think council does need to be commended yeah. for doing this um, because sometimes it get too hard and too expensive, and that's yeah. that's where heritage sort of, I guess, suffers because it looks it comes down to economics, and prudent, feasible sort of arguments. Um, this is really great that it is being done, um, and that, that people at Bundaberg and the region and more broadly will will be able to understand and and see that. And appreciate that history. So, um, is this something that you've seen before in your career? I guess probably not on this scale. Um, I mean, obviously, you've seen the the traffic bridge over the Burnett was done up, and that was a major task. But that's different. There's a lot of steel in that, and that's a whole completely different bridge. Um, we've worked on bridges like the Lamington Bridge in Maryborough. That's again, that's that's a reinforced concrete bridge. So again, that was innovative at the time. Um, but to see the amount of work that's had to go into this, and there's obviously more to go with the with the painting and those sorts of things as well in the future. Um, no, seen other cool timber structures and industrial buildings and things like that be mm-hmm. fixed up. Um, but no, this is this is a first for us. Mm, Great. Um, so for people that are interested in what archaeologists do, could you tell me just briefly how you sort of fit into a project like this through with the process of engaging with council? Um, well, we're, we're a private consultancy and um, my, so I'm an archaeologist. My colleague, Ulrika, is, uh, she's, she's a cultural heritage, uh, I guess you've done your Masters in mm. Cultural Heritage Management. Um, we've got a variety of different people we work with and we work with um, Anthony and, and his company regularly on lots of different projects too. So as an archaeologist, I mean, we look at the sort of, you know, I guess there's lots of layers on this bridge and as an archaeologist we're always looking at, I guess layers are really important, you know, whether it's ge- geological or otherwise. And here you can see those those changes and those layers over time where repairs have happened and things like that. That's really important and that's what we're trying to keep too. So putting the rails back on, for example, are important because that tells us, you know, that this was a railway bridge. Now it's a pedestrian bridge but it was a railway. So it's about looking, I guess, looking into the past. So it, it, my skill set's you know, is there a particular qualification to do heritage? No, it's, you know, our team's diverse so with a range of backgrounds. Um, archaeology is just one of them. Um, and I guess, you know, councils, we work with council on a number of different projects just to provide advice. Um, uh, but obviously council's running all of these things. So we just slot in where we need to and we help uh, with compliance and those sorts of things. Um, and I guess just facilitating Anthony's team, stuff like that. So... And it's obviously a requirement to have um, archaeologists engage when it's a heritage-listed structure? Uh, not necessarily archaeologists as such, but heritage professionals, yeah. So they, you know, in this case, um, engineers as well. And um, again, there's not, there's not necessarily a specific qualification for this. So obviously engineers, the reason we use Blight is they've got a lot of uh, heritage experience. They've worked on a lot of heritage structures. So that's really important. Mm. Um, and so it's important that the department comfortable that what's being done is following a proper process things like the borough charter and best practice and i think i think this is clearly following best practice and so the department are really quite comfortable with what council are doing because of how they're doing it and the people like hunter and his team are involved as well blight tenor um you know there's there's a really good team here and council themselves council officers so it's not just us it's 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 a combination that was the big thing for us is, you know, we understand the importance of the structure and, you know, our obligations because it is heritage listed. 
But outside of that, our knowledge is quite limited. So we had to get a team together that were going to help get the best results that we could. And we've sort of noticed with how easy this has gone through with the state government, you know, uh, the level of knowledge that we've got here and, and how they've managed to turn that into something you know, that's helped us through very relatively easily. I think across the board the project's been quite a success up until this point based on the input of the people that we've used. I mean, just in general, last question, I guess, how important is it that as a society we look after these heritage buildings and structures? Well, I think it's very important. Um, and I work a lot with Aboriginal people as well. And it's always about you know, understanding where people come from and, and, and country and identity and all those sorts of things. This is just the same. I think, you know, understanding where you live and the things that have happened to, to make it where it is today and have that sort of grounding, I think. Um, as times change and, people, and places change, you know, you've got lots of great buildings around Bundy and that, but to understand why they're here and where that wealth came from, um, how things have changed over time and how that links into all sorts of, you know, if you didn't have the sugar, you wouldn't have had Bundy rum, and that's an iconic thing which still exists. And, I mean, a lot of people go, well, that, that bridge is important then, isn't it? Mm. But uh, it's about understanding where things come from and, and, and where we come from, I guess, and why, why a particular place is unique um, and it's a great place to live. And that, that's why keeping things like this are important but also interpreting them and allowing people to understand why that's important. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, people just think it's a, an old bridge that council spent a lot of money on. You know, that's, but it isn't. It's a lot more than that. Um, and if it was lost, it would be a great loss. Yeah, I think, I think in my opinion, it's like, you know, every city needs a little bit of characters. You know what I mean? So this is the Bundaberg characters of the cities, the identity of the Bundaberg, you know what I mean? Because this bridge is, I've only seen like this, a composite of steel girder combination with the timber yeah, this is only once yeah i only see either as a full timber bridges or full steel bridges there's no such thing like that so i think this is a for me it's a very iconic thing. So i think this is only once in the underberg and that's it the other thing i'd point out roughly where we're sitting now if you look you know when you stand out on the edge here and look out you can actually in one spot see three heritage listed bridges from one spot and they're all somewhat different yeah. um, in their construction and um, quite unique mm -hmm. um, so you know just for that reason it's worth coming and having a look at them if you like that sort of stuff mm -hmm. um, there's not many places you can do that I think Anthony yeah. see such interesting engineering industrial heritage yeah, in is, one yeah. spot this is a yeah this is a it's a one of very unique things I haven't yeah. seen yeah the other thing don't forget this has been through how many floods and mm -hmm. massive floods too yeah, yeah. and, and, and still standing it wasn't designed in the old days, there's no code, no regulation to to guide you to design this kind of thing, not like it's modern day, but this is a proven structure that people in the past has only designed on the first principle of engineering and the bridge is still survived from a couple major events, which is like in the modern day bridge, like in Brisbane in particular, there's been washed away a lot of bridges and then overpass and everything. And remember, this is a modern-day construction. This is uh, hundreds of years construction. This still has to stay there. And then, with uh, when you see like uh, you know the girders has been tied on with uh, one single bolt, and like we compare with today, it's so tied on with hundreds of bolts and still go away. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So overall, we can say that the structural integrity of the bridge and the foundations were all good. The only thing we're really refurbishing is the timber. Yeah, the timber has an age. I guess, and, and 
Um, some of the things that we're looking at now are just improving some of the things that have been done over the last few decades to, to make it easier to maintain and probably a little more flood proof, um, which will mean that it should survive well into the future now um, and be easier for council to maintain in the longer run, save money yeah. as well. And we've also got to move on to the steel component next. That's a more specialist skill set with the lead paint and working above water yeah, and environmental, environmental stuff. stuff. So we want to get the timber stuff out of the way first and then regroup and, and go out and, and make contact and get a specialist in to do and finish that last little bit. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you've come away with a little more insight into Saltwater Creek Bridge. Tune in again next month where we'll hear about another of Bundaberg's heritage buildings and structures.